I just want to admit that this book, I understand, has been dense. You might argue I've been dense, but it's it's a dense book. I get it. So for those of you who are new to Christianity, I appreciate you hanging in with this. I also appreciate the fact that I am not um, not aware of the uh, the controversial nature of of the of the material. And I want to say, after I get this, that I'll leave it alone. I want to say that if you have not been offended yet, today is your day, okay? So lean over to the person next to you and say, yes, get ready. Revelation 19 verse 11 says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. This is talking about the second coming of Jesus. And the question is, what is it going to look like when he comes? Now, we know what Jesus looked like when he came the first time, right? Because throughout 2,000 years of history, people have made a good conscious attempt to tell us what Jesus looked like. Like, we know that there's white Jesus in a dental office ad, right? We know there's that Jesus. We know there's the Bob Marley, who was a mixed martial artist before he became a singer Jesus, right? Black Jesus. There's the yo, give me some skin Jesus. I love this one. The next one right there. Give me some skin. Uh, the uh, layoff steroids Jesus, right? My personal favorite, the breaking bread Jesus. I love that, love that one. But if you're looking for probably the most historically accurate, what does a Middle Eastern man in the first century look like? What does his friends? It's probably my favorite religious TV series would be the chosen TV series Jesus, and it would be him right there. More than likely, that's what Jesus looked like a Middle Eastern man who was kind, funny, bold, loving, and sacrificial. But the text today, the Jesus that's being described today in Revelations chapter 19, it's this Jesus. It is the Jesus who comes to judge, and he's not coming alone. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which he's to strike down the enemies. And then he quotes, John does from Psalm 2.9, he will rule them with an iron scepter. And then he says this, and for those of us who are disciples of Jesus in the 21st century, we're not, we don't, this passes us by. It says, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. That when Jesus comes the second time, it's going to look like he's making wine. And what do we mean by that? Here's a wine press in ancient Israel. Um, they, were, they were square in nature. You would go, you would get your grapes, you would throw them in the vat. And then family members would step on them and then you would fill up the different vats and then you would put them in animal skin. And what John is trying to describe is that when Jesus comes a second time, there's blood everywhere. He is stepping metaphorically on the bodies 
and there's blood squirting everywhere. Now, the, the picture that I want you to keep in mind is that Jesus has the ability to do this, right? Here's the earth. Jesus was here in 33 AD, went to heaven, that's Revelation 4 and 5, and then he comes back a second time. Not a lot of Christians know this, that the Bible clearly teaches is that Jesus came as a very kind, sacrificial man. But when he comes back a second time, he's coming back as Jesus the warrior. And what is he going to do? More importantly, why does he have the ability to do that? John mentioned, he says this, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In other words, Nero, Domitian, worldly powers. Remember that drawing I did a few weeks ago, for those of you who are here, of the entire universe? That Jesus is the king of all kings in the universe, all lords in the universe. So he has the right to come back and do whatever he wants because he is in charge. Now, what does it say next? It says this, I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. This incredibly gruesome image. The angel yells out to the birds, come gather together for the great supper of God. What are they going to eat? So that you may eat the flesh of the kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses, their riders, and the flesh of all people. Free and slave, great and small. Do you see the image there? Jesus is coming back. He has the scepter with which he is going to slay people. And there's going to be such carnage on earth that bodies are laying everywhere. So much so that every bird on the earth is going to be feasting on the bodies. Now verse 19 says, The beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to wage a war against the rider on his horse and his army. In other words... The beast and all the people in power are not going to take this lying down. They're going to fight back. And there's going to be a war. You might have heard of it. In the book of Revelation, it's called the War of Armageddon. We are told... Listen, we could do a 30-week series on this book. I don't have enough time. We can only do it in six weeks. Um, there's this verse that we skipped over. In Revelation 16, 16, it says this. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. I've seen the movie, right? Bruce Willis, all that. Um, the word comes from the two Hebrew words. Armageddon comes from har which means hill, and Megiddo, which is the name of the hill. Har Megiddo in Hebrew. Har Megiddo, Har Megiddo, Armageddon. We transliterate it in English. Jesus came from what hometown? What was Jesus' hometown where he did his ministry? Capernaum, right? Capernaum comes from two Hebrew words. Uh, Kephar, which in Hebrew meant village, and Nahum of the prophet. Jesus ministered in Kephar Nahum. And when we transliterate it into English, it is Capernaum. So Armageddon comes from Har Megiddo. 
And do you want to see Armageddon, the location of the battle where the, all of good and evil is going to come together and have a battle? I'll show you. I was just there. Take a look. This is Megiddo. I'm standing on the hill, Har Megiddo. I'm pointing at Nazareth right there where Jesus was born. I'm now pointing at Mount Tabor. And this whole area is the Jezreel Valley. Now you go down to the right and you're in Samaria. This whole plain there, the Jezreel Valley, is the site of 33 different battles. Every single army that ever wanted to fight Egypt or every army that Egypt wanted to fight had to go through the Jezreel Valley. Here's a topographical map of what you just saw. You'll see up here is the Golan Heights in the Seventh Day War in 1967. Uh, the Israelis took this back from Syria. And I was there talking to uh, soldiers in the Israeli army who were in skirmishes all the time, and you never hear it in the news. In the Seven-Day uh, seven War, they took this back because it's an easy way for you to lob bombs over here on Jerusalem and over here in Tel Aviv. But down through this hill, through this valley, right there, the Babylonians came in 586. The Syrians came in 722. The Seleucids came in, in the 180s and 170s. The Egyptians, every single army had to go right through that spot. And so John says, the great war is going to come through that. In fact, this week we've been watching stalled Russian tanks columns on one road. Why are they stuck there? Because there's one way in and one way out. And it's the same thing with Har Megiddo. Now, to spare us of the gore and carnage of the battle, they don't describe it, but they describe the effects. It says this, the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. Notice this, the false prophet. We haven't touched too much on that. We're going to come back to that. The beast and the false prophet. With these signs, he had deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And that's called what? New Jersey. Correct. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So there's this huge war in Harmageddon, the beast, the false prophet, thrown into hell. But what about Satan himself? He's like the instigator of all this crap. What's going on with Satan? Chapter 20 tells us. It says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over for good. Nope, doesn't seal it over for good. It says to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the a thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a short time. What the heck? Let's continue. 
I saw thrones on which it shows this picture of Christians judging people, raising from the dead and judging people. I saw on thrones those who were seated had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. That's people in the first century, and it could possibly be people in the 21st century. It could be some of us at some point. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, and the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And you're like, what? I'm, I'm, I'm so confused here. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and will reign with him for a thousand years. Let me pause and say, if you have had someone teach you the book of Revelations, this undoubtedly is what they have said. They said their whiteboard doesn't work. Here we go. We're going to get one, but honestly, I'm just cheap right now. So this is what you've been taught. AD 33, right? Here we are, 2022. Jesus goes to heaven, Revelation 4 and 5. And then he's going to come back at some point. Jesus is going to return. There's going to be a big battle. At that point, all the Christians are going to be raptured out. You heard of this, right? Jesus is going to come back, send all the Christians out. And then for seven years, you've been taught what's going to happen. The great tribulation. All you, if you're married to someone that's a Christian and you're not, you've been taught that Christian spouse is going to go to heaven and leave you here and you're going to go through hell and back. But during that seven years, you're going to have a chance to become a Christian. And at the end of that, there's going to be a thousand year reign of Jesus in Jerusalem. He's our, they're going to construct this big office and that's where he's going to rule the world. But then you've also been taught that at this point, there's going to be another big battle. Har Megiddo. And after that, heaven. That's what you've been taught, right? I was at a conference last summer with scholars from every denomination, scholars from every continent coming together for the book of Revelations. And I just want to tell you, none of them believe this. This is television pastor, television evangelist theology. This is television evangelist crap. This is not what the book of Revelation is saying. What the book of Revelation is saying is infinitely more terrifying. Let me keep going. Verse 7 of 20. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. There's going to be another battle, right? And there's going to be, all right, the battle, right? Ooh, it's going to happen. 
And the devil who was deceived was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet again had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever. And this is what ought to frighten those of you who aren't disciples of Jesus yet. Then I saw a great white horse and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done in the books. The sea gave up the dead in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the fire. That's a lot. But do you know one that you want to know what this is teaching? Here's what this is teaching. This is true, Jesus was here, and it's true, he's in heaven. But this rapture stuff that you read about in the Left Behind series is a product of Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye's imagination. It is not true. There is no rapture. There is no seven years tribulation. There is no thousand year reign where Jesus is in charge and then Satan is let back out. Like, ah, crap, he got out. Who left the door open? He got back out. Now there's another battle. Come on. Who wasn't watching the keys, right? And then there's heaven. None of that. Here's what the book of Revelation is teaching. Starting Jesus when he goes to heaven and now all the way until the final day, this whole thing is the tribulation. If you remember, tribulation is time of suffering for Jesus' followers. If you remember Revelations chapter 6, we talked about this the second week. Jesus is the one that initiated the tribulating. The tribulation happens during this time, and Christians are here. The other thing that the book of Revelation is telling us is that simultaneously with the tribulation is the thousand year reign of Jesus. These are simultaneous. And you know this is true because this is what your life feels like. Revelation tells us that like a prison, Satan is bound. Here's the key. Satan is bound. And then there are other times during the thousand year reign and the tribulation where Satan is released. Now he's out. What does this look like? I'll tell you what this looks like. Last weekend, Eric Sumter and some people from our arts ministry uh, went to lead worship for a conference up in Boston. If you remember Friday, terrible weather here, atrocious weather there. Instead of it taking five and a half, six hours, it took 16 hours. He's telling me, At one point, he thought, we're all dead. 
because he's driving down the road, snow, sleet, super slow, truck spins out, and they're on collision course. He said, I don't know how it happened, but I just, I didn't touch it too much, but we just went straight on, and the, the mashup missed them. Satan was bound in that moment. Some of you are in recovery, right? And you remember times where it sucked. Satan was victorious in your life. And there are other times, hopefully now, you've gone through a stretch, right? Or or Satan's been bound, or Satan is released, right? And it sucks, but he's bound. And you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm good now. I'm good, I'm clean now, I'm getting through it. But there are other times where there's a super bunch of temptation that's heading your way where Satan's released. Some of you are parents, and you had a situation with one of your kids. Your son has gotten with a bad crowd, and, and your son is making bad decisions, right? And when that happens, it feels like Satan is released, wreaking hell on your family. And then there are other times where you go through stretches and you're like, man, he's really getting it. He's really maturing. And then all of the times where he's making a decision. Some of you have been in marriages where your spouse has been unfaithful. And you know what it feels like in your marriage for Satan to be destroying your marriage. And for those of you, we always encourage you, unless there's physical abuse, we always encourage you to say, I'm going to fight for my marriage Sometimes it can be saved, sometimes it can't. But either way, whether it's saved or you get into a situation where it can't be saved, but you're going to move on, Satan is bound in this situation. So everybody get this? The thousand year reign is, I've been saying all throughout this series that numbers are what? Figurative, they're symbolic. So when it says in the seven letters to the churches that Some of you are going to be tempted for 10 days. They said in her woman's Bible, uh, a woman said something. She was like, I can handle 10 days. I can do 10 days, right? And that's not the point. The point is for a a finite period of time, right? And, And so this is what is being described with the book of Revelation. Now, it's important to act to answer the questions of the first resurrection and the second resurrection. And the way you answer this question is that you always do what? You go to the other 25 books of the New Testament. We know what the Apostle Paul teaches in 1 Thessalonians. If you die and I'm doing your funeral, get ready, I'm reading this passage. And if you don't like it, it doesn't matter. You're dead, okay? It says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We want to give you some information. Because the people in Thessalonians, there were Christians who died. And they were like, what's going to happen? If, when Jesus comes back, what's going to happen to those people? And some of you, my Grandma Jones, Christian died. Grandma Martin, Christian died. What's going to happen to them? And what happens if Jesus comes back right now? This is what the Apostle Paul says. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a euphemism for death. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is the first on the final day. My grandma Jones, who is dead, will instantly, going from paradise, and this is a good question. If you want to go to our Q&A session, you're going to have to pick up your own lunch. But what, what is paradise? It is what precedes heaven. And what precedes heaven is, heaven isn't heaven until we're all gathered there, right? So there's Jesus, the angels, God, but where the rest of us aren't there. So it's basically heaven without the rest of us. In other words, they got a way for us to get the real party started, right? So this is the first resurrection. Your grandmother, my grandmother, the people who are in the Lord. The second resurrection is for those of us who are disciples of Jesus that when he comes, your body is going to be instantly vaporized. In a millisecond, you'll feel nothing, but you will die. Boom. And you will instantly be alive in your new spiritual body. This is the first resurrection. This is the second resurrection. The only reason and I went into great detail to talk about this battle of Armageddon is because it's going to feel like carnage. What the Bible says is that when Jesus comes simultaneously, when there's a first resurrection of people who are already dead, people who are alive, there is a place where God is going to send the non-believer. And what are, the, what are the images that we just went through? Blood? What else? Death? Agony? Pain? All of this And that, if you don't get anything out of the book of Revelation, next week we're going to talk about the good stuff for disciples of Jesus. But for those of you who have been watching and being a part of this service, and you are not a disciple of Jesus yet, and you have not made the decision that you are going to become a disciple of Jesus, we have a baptism service that's going to be in the service next week. If you can understand that this is coming... And you still don't want to be a disciple of Jesus. God help you. Now I know why some people don't want to become a disciple of Jesus yet. And it has to do with what we talked about earlier. The false prophet. What is a false prophet? Is it the person who is telling you, I shouldn't have a beard. I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. It gets, I don't like to spend more than two seconds on personal care, which you probably know. Having a beard, like, can, can the camera? AJ, can you, can you get in this little spot right here? Why is it right here that this is darker than everything else? It's like these little splotches. Okay, anyway, all right. Understand this. The book of Revelation teaches there is Satan. 
He's in the spiritual realm, right? He cannot become a human being. Only God can do that. He doesn't have creative powers. He can demonize people. We can talk about that later. But he, he can, where it seems like he's inhabiting, but he's not. He's demonizing them. But what he can is he can influence people. And so to stop you from becoming a disciple of Jesus, he does two things. He has the from the outside strategy. He calls these beasts. And beasts do three things to disciples of Jesus. What do they do? Number one, legislation. What's number two? Regulation. And number three, repudiation. Nero, Domitian, your high school geometry teacher. Honestly, uh, former husband, your kid, Putin. Every country music singer out there. Sorry. They're, they're creating laws. They're creating um, thought processes. And they're creating shame. Now, what do I mean by this? This is coming from the outside. The point of 19 and 20 is that Jesus is coming again, but we need to be on our guard against the attack coming from the inside. And so you have all of these disciples of Jesus, right? That are getting attacked with laws, thoughts, shame, all of this. And it's all coming from the outside. And then what we don't realize, but what is taught in scripture over and over and over again, is that there's someone on the inside. This is someone that is influential to you, that you look up to, that tells you you don't really need to believe what the Bible teaches. It could be someone that you're married to. It could be someone you're following on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. Love the TikTok cat videos. Love them. Smacking the dogs. This person is a disciple of Jesus that has fallen away and no longer believes that Jesus is the King of King and Lord of Lords. And so because of that, they're going to work from the inside to undermine your belief in Scripture. They're going to undermine. They are a false prophet. And I know very clearly what a false prophet was because I listened to one and lost my faith in graduate school. And then after I graduated from seminary, I planted a church. I was there for five years before I moved here. And for the first two years, I was a false prophet. I didn't believe in hell. I didn't actually believe that people could possibly go to hell after they die. I thought it was so incredibly immoral. So I didn't teach it. I didn't talk about it. I undermined it until one day I was at a retreat, Maria Stein Retreat Center in North 
Western Ohio. I'm there and I had a day long retreat and I don't have enough time to get into it, but I had an experience with Jesus where I immediately went home and I sat my wife down at the, at the kitchen table and I said, I need to repent of the most egregious sin that I could possibly have committed. I have not truly believed that God was in control and that his word is truly his word. I had received the mark of the beast through thought leaders that influenced me. I repented to my wife. I pulled together my staff. I told them about the mark of the beast that I had received, that I wasn't teaching people about hell. I wasn't warning with heartbreak that people were going to go there. And then I called my leadership team together. They're like, what, Brian? We have all these controls in place. There's no possible way you would have had an immoral affair. And that's not why I'm here. I'm here because I didn't believe in hell and I wasn't teaching it. And then I got up that Sunday and I repented with tears in my eyes before the congregation. And if there is anyone around you that is telling you that you are not going headlong towards a Christless eternity, they're a false prophet. I don't care if they're your grandmother, your wife, your coworker, your kid. They are not leveling with you. They're not telling you the truth. They've received the mark of the beast and they're going to rob you of the opportunity to be with God for all of eternity and more importantly to do his mission while you're here on earth. And that's why, my friends, for those of you who are not disciples of Jesus yet, you needed to be here during this series and you need to come to Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about the good stuff, what we all get. But you can't talk about the good stuff without talking about the bad. So for those of you who have not made this decision yet, we want you to open our church app. We want you to click the button that says baptism. We want you to fill it out and we want you to be here next week to be a part of our baptism service where we're going to shed these marks of the beast. We're going to live for him. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you don't give up on us. Even when we've been deceived by false prophets, even when we've been false prophets, that you love us so much that you're still chasing us with your amazing, incredible love. I pray for the hearts of people who are contemplating this decision to make you their leader, that as they make that decision, they are also simultaneously rejecting the beasts of this world the dragon that empowers them and they're going to live free and forgiven and whole in you we embrace this in jesus name amen thanks for listening to brian jones sermons for more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more please go to brian's website at brianjones.com